Hello. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to What the Duck podcast. We are thrilled to have Jalen Moore join us today. And for our listeners, before we dive in and get to know you more, we have a pretty special bond after Go Big Red, right, Jalen? Yes, Go Big Red. Even though you're not wearing your Nebraska hat today. You're right. That's sorry. To my gym, actually, I can go get it. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's all good for today. Um, but we are really excited to get to know you more. Um, you as an actor, and especially in the world that we live in right now, it's it's we're big on diversity within our society and we're recognizing them more and we're really anxious to learn more about your background. So could you share a little bit about yourself and how you got to becoming the actor that you are today? Sure. Uh, how Cliff noted that journey do you want? I'm a talker. It all started, no I'm kidding. Um, yeah, well, so, okay. Uh, hi, everybody. I'm Jalen. Um, I, I don't know why I'm nervous. You two are, like, my friends and amazing, and I'm, I don't know. Because it's us. <laughs> I could, like, I could take, oh, yeah. take interviews from anyone. Like, I'll sit with Jimmy Kimmel any day. You, I'm like, oh, my God, I want to say the wrong thing. I, so I was born and raised in a couple of different cities, but I was born in Oakland, California, NorCal. Uh, and um, I was there, what's about, like, 10-ish, and I went to to a city called Dublin. So I grew up in the Bay. Um, and then I moved to Omaha, Nebraska. Hence the Husker connection. I uh, moved to Omaha when I was 15. My dad worked at Kellogg's. Everyone's probably listening going, why would you move from the Bay to Omaha? My answer to that is why not? Uh, but um, he worked at a, a company called Kellogg's and they had shut down. So we had to move to either, I think it was Battle Creek, Michigan or Omaha, Nebraska. And my father had picked Omaha, they had just better schools, uh, beautiful neighborhoods, everything. No offense to anyone in Michigan, this is Pops' choice, so don't get mad at me. This is also a long time ago. Um, but uh, I went there and then I fell right in love with Nebraska. I mean, I was there for the last two years of my high school. Uh, I played sports, of course, football, basketball, and um, I fell right into the sports system there. And it was funny because I was calling my friends back up in Oakland and, and in Dublin. I'm like, yo, you got to see the stadium and like the weight room that we have in here. It, 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 it almost looked like UC Berkeley's at that time, you know, because Nebraska takes their football seriously. So in high school, it's they're all about Friday Night Lights. Um, so it was really, really awesome. A great experience. And um, after that, my, my parents had stayed there 10 years after. So I would always go back like pretty much every summer, every holiday and spend time with my friends and also relatives I had in Omaha. Plus, I went to the Husker games. My first game I went to, I remember I had a UC Berkeley shirt, right? And a friend of mine, Jeff Purdue, he was like, hey, man, we're gonna, you, you're going to become a Husker. I'm like, yeah, we'll see. You know, I'm from the Bay. Hey. And he gave me this Husker shirt. He's like, put this on. I'm taking you to a game. And I was like, all right, Dr. Tom was coaching too at that time. So I got to see him coach, which was amazing. So I go to the game and, oh my God, that first game being right there. First of all, the tailgating, getting all the love from everybody and witnessing all the love that Husker fans give to the opposite team, to the opposing team. You don't see that a lot. You know, how many games have we gone to where people are talking smack, right? Um, everyone was like, they're like, oh, you're from Texas or you're from here? Come here, I got some barbecue or I got a beer, come sit with me. So. Husker fans, I was like, sweet. Like, I love these people. This is awesome. And uh, after that, when that song came on, it's just some goosebumps and feeling the energy from everybody. And oh my God, like 
that was it. And like the first 30 seconds, I'm like, yep, put the hat on my Husker fan for life. So that, that changed <laughs> everything. Um, I really wanted to play football for them too, really badly. And uh, my senior year of high school, I blew out my right knee playing football. Um, after it uh, snowed and, uh, and rained, it was like muddy. And it was actually a practice. The, whole, the, the worst part about this, ladies, was it wasn't even in a game. Like, you know, like catch the winning touchdown and like, woo. No, it was a practice where I caught the ball. I was a receiver and, and also DB on defense. Um, caught the ball. My buddy hit me. My right cleat stuck in the mud and ACL gone. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So that was a big pop. Um, and that was it. Like, then I go to school after the weekend. I'm on crutches and, you know, everyone's like, oh my God, like, what happened? You know, and practice, move my knee out. Like, I couldn't be like, I scored a touchdown and we won, but I lost my knee. No, it was just like, oh, practice. I was so hurt. My ego was like, boom. Down you could have lied. You could have lied and said something. Come like, oh yeah, I scored the winning touchdown. Oh, I got man. the cheerleader. Like, I should be like, I fought a bear. <laughs> bears over here. No more. Just I'm to make off. you feel better, I tore my ACL at a practice scrimmage playing basketball. So I'm I'm in the same game. Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, no, that doesn't make me feel better because I feel bad for you. <laughs> but but misery loves company. So thank you. Well, now we have something know. in common, though. <laughs> Yeah, well, like, we'll bump knees now. Instead of, like, the COVID elbow, we'll be like, knees. Um, so. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, and so long story short now, from basically from, so from the Bay Area kid to Omaha, Nebraska, then I moved to Chicago for a year. Um, my senior year of high school, I booked a, it was an open call, open casting call for a teen soap opera. And at that time, I was a huge fan of Dawson's Creek. Who wasn't, right? And a friend of mine's like, hey, I'm auditioning for this thing. Like, did you also want to be an actor? I'm like, I mean, who wouldn't, you know? But no, and my, you know, my football dreams are over. I'll just probably go do business or something. Like, meh, join the military. Like, meh, poor me, you know? And um, she's like, no, you got to come to this thing. And I'm like, all right. So I go to this open casting call. And I have a background from when I was a kid, doing a lot of musical theater, dance. Uh, I won competitions, and I was Mr. Showstopper dancing like Michael Jackson and yeah my older sister was a dance teacher and very very involved in the arts so a lot of people don't know they used to tap dance ballet and you know Michael Jackson hip-hop jazz everything um don't ask me to tap today I don't have my tap shoes anymore but um I do need to get some new ones you know singing dancing the whole thing so because of that background I've always been interested in the arts but you know it seemed like a pipe dream and so, um, there, so I go to this open casting call. My older sister helped me type up this resume of a little musical theater and theater experience I had as a kid. And um, I had a little senior wallet size photo. Like, you remember those? Like, there were people from Chicago, Iowa, like neighboring states that came in with like headshots, resumes for this teen soap. And the writer, her name was Tari Robinson. She had written for the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. And she's from Omaha. And her dream was to come back and do a teen soap at home. And so I go there, I got the little senior wallet size photo, like, like remember those nerdy ones? Everyone's like, we're like, everyone knows those stupid poses or you think with you're the so lighting, with the all lighting. The lighting the- I think I was on some little bridge with like a little Okinawa tree and like a tree in the background. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, well, I don't know why I did that, but I did. Okay, now I have so, to see that picture. I was, so, 
I know. I honestly, my my wife hasn't even seen that photo. She's like, where's this photo? I was like, I don't even know to be honest, but we definitely need to find that. I'm sure somebody in my high school has it. Um, because you'd sign the back and you're like, you know, you're so knowing you keep in touch. Woo, yay, you know. Um, and so I took that, and it was funny. Anyway, I go with that and a resume, and long story short, I ended up booking one of the leads in the ensemble. Don't know how, but I did. It was like meant to be. So we we filmed it. Uh, unfortunately, never sold in the show, but that was the spark. That was that pilot light within, like, right? That was like, oh my God, I want to be an actor. Um, so Tari kind of took me under her wing, guided me, and then she told my parents, I think your son has a gift. He's very good at taking direction. Uh, and that came from my sports background, also martial arts. I grew up doing martial arts. I fought in the Junior Olympics in Taekwondo. I won the gold when I was little. and it was a lot of fun. Like, so I just, I'm good at taking direction because you respect your coach, you know, respect your sensei, respect your director. So except for when I'm in CrossFit with Sarah and she tells me what to do. I talk back, talk shit. Jalen five more. I'm like, no, fuck you. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Literally um, talk back to the coach, man. <laughs> like where's the athlete in you? Yes, coach. Nope. I know it's that. Well, but guys, Sarah has a different method of coaching. She like, she likes to get under your skin and really push you and, and make fun of you at the same time. So you gotta snap back. You know? We'll talk but about it's that later. Love. It's <laughs> always and it works. Tough, I mean, it pushed you tough. to do your best, right? I will say that. Don't help her. Not out the competitive don't side help of you. Her. No, Carly. Don't. This is why she's my other half. She gets me. I yeah. Look, I'm just pouting because she I pays me to say that though too. That's true. Yep. <laughs> I just miss getting my butt kicked by you. That's all. Uh, that's the truth. So I convinced my parents with Tari to go to Chicago for a year because it was like a six hour drive through Iowa. So, cause I want to go to LA and she said, look, you're a nice kid. You go to LA, they're going to eat you alive. So go to Chicago, get some experience from there. Go to LA. I was like, all right. I was like, cool. Yeah. Hey mom, dad, I want to get you off college. Um, and at first, no, my father, you know, he's from Afghanistan. So he was like, no, no, you have to become doctor. You know, engineer, businessman, Wall Street, whatever. And I'm like, dude, maybe the movie Wall Street. Yeah. So luckily, mom convinced him and it was cool. And they supported me, took a year off, went there. Chicago was awesome. Learned a lot, trained it like this place called Backbone Studios, Second City. Uh, did a lot of odd jobs. I was like a valet driver, a server, a host. I, was, I did everything. I was 18, you know, just doing what I can to survive. Um, and then I lived in Rogers Park. And at that time, anyone that's from the city that knows Rogers Park in 1999, you know what's up, you know what I'm talking about, or in 2000. Um, no, 99. So now, fast forward to, then I moved to LA after the year there. And I've been in LA ever since. Been here 20 years. And uh, just hustling, started my own personal training business. Was pursuing a degree in kinesiology to do physical therapy. Um, but at the same time of, as going to part-time school doing that, my acting career started to take off. And then I just kind of took the leap and I was like, this is what I love to do. Act, produce, write, sing, dance, you know, everything. And that's what kind of led me through my journey. And finally my dad gave in, you know, like once I started booking shows and once I booked my, my big show six and like when I was on Homeland, he's like, okay, okay, you're an actor now. I'm like, oh, it only took you, you know, 15 years, but thanks. <laughs> so um, it was, uh, 
it was amazing. You know, it's, it's been quite the journey. That's kind of the cliff noted version, but uh, I'm open to any questions you may want to ask because I can still like ramble forever. Man, I love hearing your story. That's amazing. Um, my dad is very much similar with you. When my dad became an actor, my grandparents were Argentinian. Was like an actor? What do you mean? Like my dad had a great job working under my grandpa's business. And then my dad was like, first of all, he got his ears pierced to, to remind himself that he's an artist. So he had that and he worked a corporate job. And then he realized I'm not happy. Like even though I have a nice paying job, I have a nice car, good paycheck, all that. He wasn't happy. He missed the art. So he went to my grandpa and said, here's the keys to the BMW. Here's the keys to the business. I'm done. Like I want to pursue acting. And my grandpa looked at him and said, good luck. And so he's like, okay, got it. But then 30 years, he's still acting and he's still in the business. And he lived in his car. He had odd jobs. He was like a gardener. And if you know my dad, he does not have a green thumb. So he was a horrible gardener but yeah so <laughs> it's so interesting to that's see funny. yeah and you have to follow your passion so i completely relate yeah. with that so that's amazing to hear your story through that um i have a, my oh, curious you. question first that i want to ask you is what has been your favorite role thus far in your career and why um my favorite role that's easy right now it's it's so it's a character i played named armin khan Fish bait was a call sign. That's in a show that I did two seasons called Six. That was on the History Channel. Now it's on Amazon and Hulu and iTunes and everywhere else you can find. But um, that role has been my favorite, uh, particularly because, number one, something amazing happened when I auditioned for that role. I actually got called in for a different role, uh, which was a recurring, not necessarily a series regular. And um, when the creators of the show saw my tape, Something that happened to me doesn't really usually happen to a lot of actors. Like when you book a series, usually you'll have the audition, then you get a callback, and then you go test in front of the network. For me, they saw my tape. And William Broyles, who also goes by Bill Broyles, he, look him up, just just a little guy named Bill Broyles, who, you know, wrote Apollo 13, Castaway, Flags of Our Fathers, just, just you know. Works a lot with Ron Howard, just that guy. Um, Thanks. <laughs> yeah, no big, no, no big deal. The 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 Hollywood royalty, Bill Broyles. Um, <laughs> Bill and his son, David Broyles, and their other partner in the creative of this, uh, Bruce McKenna, they were like, there's something. There's something about this guy. And Bill especially said, I want to create a role for him. And that was a big, like, that's never happened. That's never happened to friends of mine that are working actors. So they call my agent. They go, hey, so Jalen didn't book that recurring role he went out for, but we want to create a role for him because we need one more SEAL for the ensemble, one more Navy SEAL. What is his ethnicity? And my agent's like, oh, well, his dad's from Afghanistan. His mom's American, but like Spanish descent, da, da, da. And, he, and all they heard was Afghan. And they're like, oh, is he Muslim? And she goes, I think so, but I mean, I know he celebrates Christmas and everything else, but yeah, and they're like, oh, we don't care. It's for the story purposes. Um, we would love to create the first like Afghani Muslim role, basically kind of true to him, but about like a Navy SEAL in the show. You think he'll love that? And she goes, uh, pretty sure. So um, that's what happened. They, they created this role for me. And next thing you know, 
like four days later, I was in a boot camp down by San Diego with my castmates. There's six of us that got the shit kicked out of us from the Navy SEALs. Oh man, that was the hardest, like what, three, four days of my life. It was like a blur of sleep deprivation, uh, swimming, being like waterboarded in the ocean, log PT, rucksacks, hiking up mountains in the middle of the night, being hosed down and sprayed in the face in the cold, you know, dragged out of my bunk bed. Oh, they, they, they came out as hard and like, it's, it's nowhere near as hard as the real like buds, right. The Navy course, that's like six months, but they gave us a smidgen of it that, you know, for me, I was like, I got this I'm martial artist. I do CrossFit. I trained with Sarah. I'm, I'm cool. Man. I got this. Woo. Um, I didn't train with you at that time though, actually, but you were in my heart. Sarah. You were in my heart. Um, but, uh, man, I, rude awakening. I mean, that that's what it's designed to do is it takes you to your limits and then it breaks you and then they rebuild you back up. And then they, you, you know, it's, it's amazing. Like your brain will shut down when your body has like 80%, like you can still go. Right. So it was the most, it was the most amazing experience of my life. It's like I, these five strangers became my brothers for life. Right. Everyone had shared pain. Uh, we, we know, like, I know these guys inside out now and I know their breaking points as they know mine, I know them more inside out than I have friends for 30, 40 years. It's crazy. So um, it was just phenomenal. And that training alone brought us together, made us a tight unit. So then when that energy was shared on camera, so many veterans who watch the show are like, yo, man, you guys are the only show that got it right. Like, you guys look great. The way you move, the way you talk, the way you stand, the way you sound. Like for Hollywood, that's like, that's the most authentic we've seen. And it was a huge compliment. And we had an amazing two seasons. And then it just, unfortunately, we didn't get greenlit for season three. It just wasn't enough, enough live viewership, live eyeballs, because that's how History Channel rolls. Had we been on a streaming channel, I think in the beginning, I think we still would have been going because our streaming was through the roof. But unfortunately, oh. the timing of it just didn't work out. So we're, we're still a little buttered over that, me and the boys. We, it's like the bride that left, left us at the altar because we had a, a really exciting season three plan. We were going to go shoot in New Mexico. There's a massive storyline, something that happens to my character. If, you, if any fans out there who know season one and two, you'll, season three was like, that was it. That was going to be like the closing chapter. So I don't know. Now that I'm producing and doing a lot of other things, maybe one day I'll circle back and see if I can get the boys together and do like a sixth film or something just to, just to close it. But we always joke saying we'll be the geriatric seals at that point. <laughs> By the time we get around to doing this film and everyone's schedules, because the boys, everyone's working on different movies and shows, and I'm so proud of these guys. Everybody's working. Um, where I was like, we're going to come back. It's like, hey, fish bait. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, contact right. Where? Like, it's just going to be, <laughs> you know what I mean? So we'll see. But we really want to close that storyline. So uh, that's a long-winded answer for you, uh, ladies. What is my favorite role thus far um, in my career? it's amazing how you, you did the actual training to be able to play that character because oftentimes in our community, our community is frustrated with how hearing people will play a character who is deaf without knowing the culture, knowing the language. And so the fact that you literally, you know, did the training to be able to perform that character well. And it's a lot about representing people authentically within the entertainment industry. And this is why we're having this conversation is to see how 
the entertainment industry can best represent every community and minorities and people that, you know, live within. And I know that you're a part of a minority group. And I'm I'm curious, how do you make sure that you represent yourself as Jalen, an individual, an actor, and separate that from the community that you are a part of? I go role by role first off. So like when I get an audition, I get a script, I'm reading it, uh, or this project I'm personally producing, I definitely go through and I come through and I see if there are, if every character in there is appropriately represented um, for whatever ethnicity it may be, right? So if I get a script and it's about Asians and I want to make sure I'm not Asian, but Technically, Afghanistan's in Asia, but anyway. Um, so what I'm going to do is reach out to my Asian friends uh, and or producing partners that are and go, hey, I love the script. Let's move forward with this one. But you tell me, is that is everything here authentic? Because if not, then let's, you know, let's definitely fix it, right? I mean, that's at least my mindset behind it. Um, but for the acting side, in the past, I've had to take roles that were very stereotypical Middle Eastern you know, when I had those auditions and I booked some where I'm the villain or I'm the bad guy, like, you know, Allah Akbar, la, 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 boom, you know, shit like that. Um, didn't like it, but was also grateful for the opportunity to work, you know, and, and you got to make a living as an actor. Um, but this was like years ago. Now it's gotten better to where it's like, oh, the brown guy who is from the Middle East or, or Asia doesn't always have to be a terrorist. And it's like, yeah, no shit. You know what I mean? It's like, let's not play to stereotypes. Let's not be hypocritical, right? It's like me saying all like brown dudes are criminals. It's like, no, right? So that's an ignorant statement that some people would make that are ignorant. So sometimes people are hypocritical because they'll write storylines that are stereotypical, but yet they preach they want to break stereotypes. But sometimes it's, it's tricky because sometimes you'll have a movie or a TV show that is based on something true. And if that's a true slice and a perspective from the writer, I got to be careful, too, because like, who am I to be like, that's not true, Sarah, or that's not true, Carly. And you're like, yeah, but that's my truth. That's what I experienced, whether it be in Nebraska or California or wherever, you know, so. It's a tricky time right now in Hollywood. It's very tricky. Honestly, it's very challenging because you don't want to piss people off. You want to bring authenticity the best you can for everybody in all areas of inclusion, right? But then there's the fine line of like, well, where do you draw the line? Like we're actors. So if you technically go to hardline inclusion, it's like, like the role I just played on FBI. I was just on the show FBI. It was a beautiful, huge guest star. I shot it a few months ago. It just aired like last month, right? Um, I played a guy from Syria. Now, technically, I'm not Syrian. So a lot of people can make noise about that going like, well, why did he get it? He's not Syrian. Luckily, the episode was more about a guy who's Muslim and dealing with the hardships of spying on his own people for the FBI in regards to a crime. And luckily I did like the storyline to where at the end he was right. It wasn't these people whom they thought it was. And I'd be a white dude. <laughs> so, and it was a really beautiful, powerful role that I played. It's for anyone listening. If you, if you just download the episode, walk the line on FBI this past season, 
Um, it's a beautiful written episode directed by Michael T. Williams, who's the actor from Forrest Gump who played Bubba Gump. He's now a director and he's amazing. It was really cool to work with him. But um, so back to this though, like, so like, where do we draw the line, right? Like if we were too hardcore inclusion, then technically I wouldn't have been able to play that role. And I got to be able to eat. You know, I got two kids, family support, I got a house, right? So it's like, it's a real tricky time. You know, I don't think there's any blanket answer. Um, and I do feel the more we make an effort to uh, include as much as we can when it comes to people that aren't necessarily given the, the high number of opportunities in this industry. And as long as it's true to the story being told, I think we'll be okay. I think, I think we'll find our way. I think right now the pendulum's swinging one way really heavy. And I think, I think we'll find a good middle for, for all ethnicities in Hollywood and all, all people of all types, right? Um, so we'll see, you know, I don't know. It's, I don't know the full answer to that, to be honest, I wish I had the solution, but I think it's just going to be day by day, project by project, year by year, you know? And one thing that I want to inform our listeners and audience, and you can expand on that because you have a better understanding. There's been a term that's been newly released in the industry with SAG. We just had a panel spoken about it. Nina? If you can let our audience um, listeners know what that means, we would love to hear from you. I mean, uh, yeah, it's a great category that essentially was put together by, by a board of these brave people, I think, to go out there and say, we need this. Uh, Zita Ganizada was from Afghanistan um, and a dear friend, Asaf Cohen. I know that both of them that are on the board started the MENA advocacy. It's like that check mark, you know, when you go on a resume and it's like, Caucasian, this, this, that. Well, in the industry, there wasn't one for us. You know, Minuk is kind of more of a generic term, like Middle Eastern, North African. So you can be a bunch of different things, but within that realm, which is great because what it did was it opens up massive opportunity in these auditions. So now you don't have to, if you have like a, for lack of better words, a brown dude in a, in a, in a film, right? I don't have to say I need specific, unless it's specific to the story, right? Like I need specifically Afghan. That's different. But if I'm like, this brown dude can be from anywhere, whether it be Asia or Middle East, cool. Put out in the breakdown, Mina. But it needs to be 20s to 30s, ridiculously good looking and ripped. Like Jalen Moore, what happened? Who said that? That is so weird. Whoa, heard a voice. Um, (laughs) I'm a big corny idiot. I know I have dad jokes all day. Um, so, you know, you put it out as Mina and now it's cool because now there's always, now it's, it's going to be a flood of dudes for that role. that get an opportunity, which is great, right? You're not pigeonholing it. Um, and so, and then the Mina advocacy group, I would look them up online on Instagram. You can learn a lot about what's happening, what's going on and how the industry is shifting. Cause it's, it's, you know, you want to give opportunities to everybody. Um, it's definitely tilting in a, in a good way, finally. Yeah, I was looking through your Instagram. You, that's how I learned about it was from you and your posts. It was, thank you for sharing it. And there was one quote that you specifically liked that I we really gravitated towards. And it really parallels with the deaf community. It said, no more stories about us without us. And it was based on that panel that talked about the MENA discrimination in the, within the entertainment industry. 
And that spoke so profoundly to us and it makes sense. And it shows the authenticity that needs to happen behind the scenes with the writing room, with directors, with everything and doing your research to really understand what that culture looks like, whether it's your culture or our culture, we're all a minority within the industry and how to best represent each other and support and uplift everyone within the industry. So I really, that quote really spoke to my heart. So. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Well, you know, I I was just sharing the truth. I'm happy it affected you. Like it affected me. I mean, that's like, that's the honest truth of this. If I have a character who's deaf in one of my films I'm producing, I'm not going to try to write like I can write maybe a template of what I think that character is going through, but I'm going to go check with somebody and hire the right person. Like, like you gals to, to, I need you as my eyes to be like, is this correct? Am I representing this? Correct. Oh, I'm not. Oh, I missed that. Well, I'm going to hire you now as a co-writer to write this then and help me. You know what I mean? Like the thing is right now with Hollywood and I'm going to call Hollywood out right now. They're doing what I call digital check marks. They're all talking about like, oh, here we go. Inclusion, Mina, Asians, African-Americans, Latinos, yay. And then I'm behind the scenes as a producer. Now let's step out of the actor role and I'm seeing what's being made right now. And I'm like, "Mm, mm, you still are hiring those shiny white boys for the leads, which there's a lot of great actors out there that I love that are Caucasian, don't get me wrong, but I'm like, Okay. Oh, and your one brown guy's Riz Ahmed. Great. Love him. Cool. Remy Malik. Sweet. Can you name any more? A lot of people can't. I know them because of my community, but you know, so I'm like, I think we can reach out and get some more. Right. And, and I'm seeing these breakdowns come out for new TV shows, new movies. It's not as much they're, they're, they're feeling they're patting themselves on the back with these beautiful big articles on Deadline, on Variety, on Hollywood Reporter. Yeah, here we go. And then, but the work, no. Some not being done as, as much as they're claiming. And it's really upsetting. And the only way it's going to change is that they hire people like us from all types to create content for us, right? That's the only way. You can't have a writer's room, again, no offense, but full of Caucasians writing stories about minorities. It's just not going to work. They don't, they didn't grow up like me. You know, they didn't grow up. My mom chasing me with a chocolate, like, you know, with a freaking sandal, like, no, no, no. Maybe they did, but no. So it's, you gotta, it's true. Like I said, it's very tricky, but I do think the Hollywood elites need to be called out a little more. I think the A-list needs to step up and help us out a little bit and, and drive it to where it's more of a fair playing field in my opinion. What did you uh, ladies think of Sound of Metal? Did you like it? Yeah. 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 There's a lot of different opinions on that movie. Some people, some deaf people don't like it and some deaf people do like it. The biggest reason is because of the main character. The main character is actually hearing and played as a gentleman with hearing loss. And so they felt like they took an opportunity away from another deaf actor who could have filled that role. So that's kind of a huge, that's kind of one controversy that's in that, but how they told the story and how they represented what it was like to immediately lose your hearing. And the next day, just, you know, and still be strongly a part of music. I think it was beautifully well done, but there are certain 
other layers within our community that have different opinions on who played that character. So this is where I will tell you from a producing standpoint, these are the hard conversations. And remember when I told you day by day, I do agree if they could have found a great actor to do this, that's truly deaf. That'd have been an amazing opportunity. hundred percent. I will say from a producer, eye, from a business standpoint, now, when I say this, I don't mean to offend anybody. I'm just going to be real. I don't think you would have gotten the amount of eyeballs on this film without Riz Ahmed. People know his name. When I saw the title of the movie, I didn't even know what it was about. And I was like, ah, it sound of metal. What is that? A metal thing? Like, eh, I, I'm, I'm so busy in my life, me personally. When I was like, oh, Riz Ahmed's in it? Oh, I got to watch it because I love that dude. I'm a fan of his. So then I read the synopsis and I see what the movie's about. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is interesting. I didn't, this is not what I thought just by the title. This is brilliant. And then when I watched it, I learned about a world that I'm not too well versed in. And it's because he drew me to that project. Not to say I won't watch a project that has a deaf lead. Because uh, I would, but I'm just saying what caught my eye to immediately click the button and go, I need to watch this before the Oscars because getting all this hype is because I had one of my favorite actors in it. And worldwide, sometimes it's like, because this is still new, right? Like, like you had said, there's not a lot of given opportunities or schools or teachings in the film world for the deaf community. And there needs to be, 100%. So I think with the success of Sound of Metal, perhaps use that so then the next film maybe will have a deaf lead or a deaf co-lead off another name. It's just in the indie world and just the way people are in this industry, unfortunately, you need shiny names to draw in an audience, you know? And then if you can take a deaf actor who blows it out of the park in a film with at least one shiny name. So then you get the eyeballs, but then you have this new actor that crushes it. That's a great formula too, you know? So that's a hard one. That's a hard one. And that, and that's why, and that's why I asked how, how you, how do you represent yourself as a person separate from the community that you represent? Because oftentimes we do feel that burden. How do we not take that role or how do we call them out to represent our community? Well, but at the same time, it's like, we're trying to get in the door into the entertainment industry. And maybe that's not the right way to represent our community in the first place, but hey, be patient because we are getting there. You know, we can use that. So like you said, it, it, it's a sticky topic, but talking about this, it, it maybe, maybe some deaf people will not like this and they don't like what you said because they feel like that's very offensive and it minimizes their capability of having that role. But again, I get it. I get the other perspective to get into the entertainment industry. Yeah. And, and, I, and you know, you can't ever please everybody. And like, and if I did offend anybody by my comment there, like, that's not my intention. That's just me explaining to you how Hollywood works. And I don't necessarily agree with that at all. I'm just saying like, that's how, so like, let me give you an example. I personally have a project about the first Afghani Muslim Green Beret in U.S. history. And 
it's a very expensive film. It's a war biopic about my cousin. What I'm hearing from studios is if you want this greenlit, you can't play him. Unless a Netflix or a streamer picks it up because they already have a built-in audience, they don't necessarily need a shiny lead. But what I'm hearing from a lot of studios is you go get Riz Ahmed or Remy Malik or somebody to play your cousin who's not Afghan, and then you play a minimal role, that'll greenlight your $30 million movie. So the actor in me is like, fuck, this sucks. I have all these odds against me. But the producer in me is like, well, I understand. It's a business. It's unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. They're not going to give you 30, 40 million for a name that households don't recognize. But it can be done. So for me, the dream is to play the role of my cousin. And I just go day by day and I continue to push that project forward. And the way I look at it, because I'm a man of faith and spirituality, is if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. If I get an opportunity where this movie will get made and his story for what he's done for this country and for this world can be told, then I'm not going to be so precious with it. I'll back off. Somebody else will play it that's probably not Afghan. And then I'll play like another role. So that's what I mean. Like in the comparison of Sound of Metal, like it wasn't any disrespectful thing. It's just like, unfortunately, that's what we're dealing with in Hollywood. Like for people that don't understand the industry, it costs money to make projects. A lot of money. And especially in the indie world. And if you want to get a film out there that's going to give a return to your investors, you got to put some familiar faces in there. Otherwise, no one's going to watch it. Your small, like your community will watch it. Like my Afghan community will watch it. The deaf community will watch it. But you're not going to get a lot of mainstream. Or you're not going to get Joe in Nebraska to really watch it. I'm being real. Even if it's an Afghan story or a deaf story or whatever story. But you put a couple shiny names in there, that's going to draw, right? So that's the challenge. That's what we're facing. So like I said, it's a case-by-case situation. I think, um, I think it would be awesome if maybe in the deaf community, like, I would love to see more opportunities for filmmaking so that people who are deaf that want to learn and make films and or act can do so. That'd be dope. I don't know how to start that program personally, but I feel like there's a way. I think it'd be awesome if a film fund was put together specifically for this type of content. Because if you get in Hollywood, money's the power. It's just the way it is. If you have the money or you have access to a lot of the money in the indie world, especially, you can kind of formulate what you want. And I think then you can start to pick and choose which projects you want to do with real deaf leads, with maybe some shiny people here to help with distribution. Like, you know, again, and this is only my opinion. There's a million ways, you know, to make a movie. There's like no more rules anymore. There's like the old school way. And then there's just ways that are like through the roof. Sometimes you hear that a film got green lit and they got their money from like a crowdfunding. And you're like, how the hell did that happen? That's amazing. Good for you. Do it. You know? So I think with passion and learning the business side of Hollywood, as well as the creative artistic side. I think if you can blend both those, there's a way. There's always a way. It's just a matter of finding which route. And it's definitely challenging, you know. Um, 
But I hope that makes sense in regards to like my answer for Sound of Metal compared to like my own project where even me, I don't even know if I can play the lead, you know, we'll see. Hopefully, right? Knock on wood, but we'll see. Yeah, it's amazing. Again, so many, so many people don't realize how much actually goes into making a film or a TV show. And again, you just see the credits at the end of a movie and you don't realize there are so many hats we play. There's so many things that go into it. And a lot of times that many people forget, they just see the end product. They don't see what the work goes into, what the decisions were made, how hard we work for it. So for you to really expand on that, I really appreciate you explaining to our audience how much complexity goes into something like this. And it opens the door to allow conversations to happen about us. And even though, again, our stories are completely different, like the deaf community and your community are completely different, but we have that parallel relatability and empathy of understanding what we need to do and what we have to continue to build and continue to educate. And so I appreciate you taking the time to really discuss about it and be raw because this is what we need to hear stories like this and for you to relate with us in that way. So we really appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, of course. I mean, I'll always give my honest opinion. Sometimes it bites me in the butt, but I'd rather just be honest, you know, like this is why people cry at award shows. Like sometimes the average Joe will make fun of like, oh, the this stupid so-and-so is all tearing up. Yeah, I want an award. I'm like, you have no idea how difficult it is, whether you're a producer, a writer, an actor, getting a film off the ground into production, into post-production, and then onto the screen. It's like having a baby. It's a creative baby that it is, you're, as a producer, especially, you're putting out fires every day. Every day. I got projects right now I'm developing. And I'm on the phone. Like my phone's blowing up right now. And I'm like, nope, my time is with my ladies. Um, but like, it, there's always, there's always fires. And it's just the way it is. But I love it. I love it. That's why I'm in this industry. I love it. But you know, it is called show biz. So there's a business side too. Some people who think it's just like, oh my gosh, I want to act. And like, woo. It's like, cool. Go do theater. Uh, if you want to be in the film industry, learn the business side too. So you can understand, right? Because the more you understand, the more powerful you are, right? Knowledge is power. So anybody out there that's feeling like you're not being heard community-wise or individually-wise, I got news for you. No one's going to come saving you. You got to step it up and do you. Show them the way, right? That's why I'm writing my own projects from my eyes. And whether they sell right away or they don't, I got them, right? I'll show people the way. Oh, you, you, you're close to representing Afghans. That was pretty good. But let me show you a script that actually does, you know, and then you, you, they, they need solutions. We have to be the solution. We can't whine. We can't complain because if you do, nothing gets done. I mean, it's, it's okay to make a stink, like not a stink, but it's okay to like express true feelings about certain things right? That's totally fine. And you're like, that's messed up. I don't like how that studio did that. That's completely incorrect. I think that's important and that's great. But then say your thing, make your mark, and then drop it and go make something to show people the real way it's supposed to be, right? So that's, and it's easier said than done. 
Remember, this is a very hard industry. That's why not everybody does it. That's why a lot of people leave. 20 years I've been here, I have so many friends that have left. God bless them, man. I love them. And they, you know, they felt they found happiness in other career paths and they're raising families and they're doing great. I was very fortunate enough to be able to stick around and just figure out ways to make it work for me. I'm just hungry. And I will always be hungry. And I just keep going. I just, I love this industry too much. You know, there's nothing else I can see myself doing. Is there something you can give to our audience, whether it's a quote that you live by or something that you truly follow? What would you want? Like what message do you want to give? Hmm. There's so many good ones. I would say one true one that I actually had to remind myself of even this morning when my alarm went off at 4.45 a.m. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. I think in life, everything we want to do sounds fun and dandy when it comes to uh, transformation, elevating ourselves to a new level, you know, making the ceiling, the floor, growing into a whole new person. All that can be done. But in order for that to happen, you have to be uncomfortable. If you're comfortable, you're not doing anything to stretch. By the way, it's fine. If you're totally living in comfortability and you're happy with that, that's amazing. That's awesome. I wish I had that. I'm never comfortable. So I would say, you know, get get comfortable being uncomfortable. And that's that's when you know you're going to grow. That's when you know magic can happen. I'm a firm believer in magic too. Like, you know what I mean? You put out the intention, you put out the love, you put out the passion and you just go and you have faith and like sometimes magic things happen. So yeah. I know I'm doing life right now. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> always living uncomfortable. It's great. That's one of my favorite, actually one of my favorite quotes as well. Like I always tell people like, if you're comfortable, you're not growing, you're not learning, you're not getting better, like stay uncomfortable. And it's just, that's where you get, like you said, the magic. Cause I truly believe that too. I remember when I decided to tell my parents and all my friends in Nebraska that I was leaving and selling my house and sold everything I owned to move to Los Angeles. And everybody was like, what? California is expensive. Like, I don't know how are you going to afford the cost of living in LA? Like, what are you going to do there? And I'm like, you know what? I don't know. Like I was getting comfortable in Nebraska. I got bored and it was time to do something different. And now look at me, I have a podcast. I'm, you know, in the entertainment industry now. And they're reaching out to me saying, Oh, how are you doing? How, how, Oh, you, you like Cali. It's not that expensive. You're good. You're not living on the streets. No, <laughs> I'm doing just fine. <laughs> oh, that's all. Oh, that's beautiful. Good for you. I'm proud of you. That's amazing. I'm proud of her too. Aww. For sure. Uh, that's awesome. Really? That's, that's inspiring. I, I didn't even know that. I didn't know. Wow. You sold it. Why did you do that? Go back. What? Why are you here? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, come on, Jalen. Don't believe that. No, no, no. I, no My I, parents I, would I, love you. See, that, your parents now would be, we'd be BFFs, 100%. Um, no, really, uh, as your friend, I'm very proud of you. That like That's incredible. Good for you. Thank you for being an inspiration to all of us. And look, it takes guts to do that. Are you kidding me? That takes courage. Oh my God. Um, thanks. Yeah. Wow. That's excellent. Right. person I know. Thank you for having me really. Like I, I, I was happy to be here. I am happy to be here. Um, I'm curious to see how you two grow, uh, as like definitely as, you know, creative partners, but also 
as individuals uh, within this industry, within your own career goals and, and paths, and um, let me like let me know if there's ever anything I can do to help or advise or even just to listen. You know, I'm here. So, if there's anything I can do to help, I I will within my power. So just let me know. This is why we love you so much, Jalen, and for our audience to love you too. And can you also plug in your social media platforms where our audience and listeners can follow you and stalk you like we do? Yeah. <laughs> if you go on Instagram, just look up Jalen Moore. Uh, some some idiot took my handle, so it's Jalen eleven eighteen. Eleven eighteen also is my birthday, November eighteenth. So if anyone wants to send gifts, I won't say no. Um, Jalen eleven eighteen one 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 eight on Instagram, uh, Facebook. I do have a Facebook fan page. It's Jalen Moore. You'll find it, and then Twitter, Jalen Moore, Jalen underscore Moore. You'll see me. But Instagram is probably the best place to connect because I throw fun things up there all the time, whether it's work related, personally, goofy things with my kids. You know, just living life to the best that I can. So. And that's why I love following your Instagram. It is so much fun to watch you. Seriously. Oh, thank you. Oh, well, thank you so much, Jalen, for being here on this episode of the podcast and inspiring our listeners and inspiring us with your stories and your energy and your spirit. You seriously are an amazing human being. And I miss kicking your ass in the gym so much. Really a lot. I miss yelling at you. Um, but thank you to our listeners for taking time to listen to his story and our stories and just having an open dialogue. And don't forget, if you have any questions that you want to submit for Jalen or for us and you just want to open a conversation, email us at questions at whatthedeaf.com. Or you can find us on Instagram at whatthedeaf. And Jalen, I am ready for a football session too. Football sesh, swimming sesh, everything sesh. Let's do it. Can't wait. And to our listeners, we'll see you next week. Bye, Bye guys. Love you all. Thank you for having me so much. I really appreciate you. Thank you. We would like to thank dpan.tv and their services at aslcaptions.com for making the transcripts and captions of this podcast accessible for everyone. If you're looking for captioning or transcript services, they do amazing work.